What's up everybody, Tara Wellman here. It is series preview time once again as the St. Louis Cardinals head to Pittsburgh to see the only remaining unseen team in the National League Central. Now, both the Cardinals and the Pirates ended their previous series with walk-off winners. Nothing like a little momentum to combat a little momentum, am I right? The Cardinals enter the series 15 and nine on the year while the Pirates stand at 14 and 11. The Pirates started the year on a pretty high high, and things have cooled off a bit since then. What that means for the Pirates moving forward, or for the Pirates in the moment, well, that is what Dan Hopper from the only Pittsburgh Sports Podcast is here to tell us. So Dan, thanks for joining me today. First of all, how are you after a walk-off win for the Pirates? uh somewhat relieved still confused about the season so far i feel like the first uh you know 16 games of the season were like maybe this team's a little bit better than we thought and then the next 10 games were like no it's maybe it's worse than we thought so i don't know how that evens out exactly but i you know it's almost the end of april and i feel like i'm much more confused about the pirates than i was at the beginning of the season well, let's go back to the beginning just for a minute to create some context, because this is the first time yeah. that the Cardinals and the Pirates will see each other in 2018. The Pirates made some, I would say, unpopular choices over the offseason as far as guys like <laughs> Andrew McCutcheon and Garrett Cole yeah. are concerned. What did you make of the Pirates offseason and, and sort of how they came out of this spring and how that created what were your expectations to begin with? Well, uh, yeah, un unpopular would be a very mild way of putting it. <laughs> Just people, you know, whipping pitchforks at the foundations of PNC Park, maybe a little <laughs> bit more accurate. But, uh, you know, I, the Pirates fan base has been jilted by ownership many times, uh, even by owners, owners in baseball being jerks standards. They are right at the top. So I think the fact that uh, they, they, they came out of three straight years where they had winning seasons, won the wild, uh, made they were the number one wild card, and once they lost in the first round to the Cardinals, and one, twice they lost the wild card game. And then the next year, they really didn't add on to their team at all. And now two years later, uh, they trade Andrew McCutcheon and Garrett Cole, who were you know franchise building blocks and McCutcheon in particular, the most popular player in, you know, 30 years probably. So I think it was this public perception wise, it was this perfect storm of like, not only did they never do enough to like win while the window is open, but now they're also like preemptively shutting the window and, and in weird trades, it's like, you know, if, if they trade McCutcheon and get, two years ago they were talking about trading him to the nationals and they were talking about getting um you know lucas giolito or you know, like these top top prospects and if it was that i think you could be like all right i could kind of understand it but they traded mccutcheon and cole for a lot of major league ready or close to major league ready players they got a bunch of relievers they got colin moran who's their third baseman now they got a guy, Joe Musgrove, who is injured now, but would be in the rotation. And they got two relievers who are in the rotation right now and or not rotation in the bullpen rotation. But and so it's like, are you it wasn't clear if they were rebuilding or trying to compete. And if you're trying to compete, why wouldn't you just keep Garrett Cole? And if you're trading him, why wouldn't you get some, you know, 
farther away, higher ceiling prospects. And so it's this weird mix of like, you look at the roster and you're like, for a team that just traded its two best players, they're not bad. They're actually like, <laughs> They have credible starting player. They they have a credible starter at every position, pretty much. But also, they're not that good. They just seem like they are right in that seventy-five win range without without much. If this breaks right, they'll be great. Room, you know, it's just like I think they'll probably be around seventy-five wins, and I still kind of feel that way. But um, you know, it was it was an exciting first couple weeks of the season for sure. But I think they're playing a little closer to their real talent level now. Yeah, it was a little weird uh, from an outside perspective, sort of watching the the Brewers go out and do what they did in this offseason, really try mm-hmm. to step their game up, and then watching, uh, as a Cardinals fan, the Cardinals make some changes, but maybe not quite as as significant mm-hmm. changes as the, the fans would have liked. And then for the Pirates, you're right, it does sort of feel like the initial part of let's move two of our best players feels like the start of a rebuilding process without the follow-through that sort of creates the light at the end of the tunnel (laughs) yeah and and like i just don't know exactly what to make of the strategy and i i think their strategy is just sort of perpetually being competitive is is their plan it's not like we're gonna tear it all down and then in you know 2021 we'll we'll be ready you know we'll be the astros or something like that it's kind of like we have too many good players to get rid of everyone but not enough good players to compete and obviously we're not going to spend so it's just kind of like well let's trade two guys for seven guys and just hope everything goes right in the next two years that kind of thing um it, it's just it it's weird because I wouldn't say they're rebuilding now, and it's hard to say that of a team that just traded its two you know franchise players. Yeah, it's it's an interesting approach. Um, I think the way that the season started, to your point, may have lent itself to the idea that hey, maybe this maybe this does this math does work somehow. They took three out of four from the Reds, mm-hmm. two out of three from the Cubs, and we now know that the Reds are really struggling this season, but the Cubs (laughs) continue to be the favorites to win the division. So going in and playing well against that team has to lead you to believe that there's something there. So what do you take away from those early series victories as far as who this team is capable of being? Well, uh, yeah, again, it's confusing because the first, I don't know, 15 games of the season, something like that, I think they had the number one offense in baseball, including like in, in the American League too. And and I think at that point, even as a real rational skeptical fan, you're like, okay, I know they're not going to lead the league in scoring, but maybe the offense is a little better than we thought, like that kind of thing. And, you know, maybe, uh, you know, Francisco Cervelli got off to a really good start. Uh, Corey Dickerson, the left fielder they got from the Rays, is off to a good start. Uh, Colin Moran, the third baseman they got in the Cole trade, is off to a good start. And you you start to talk yourself into, like, you know, I know they're not going to, again, they're not going to be number one, but they might be better than we thought. And then they came, they ran into these Rockies series and uh, they got swept four games by the Phillies and were scoring, you know, one to two runs a game against some good pitchers, some middling pitchers. And I feel like it corrected so far the other way. You're like, well, they're not this bad. Like, and so I still think there's a chance the offense is going to be better than people thought at the beginning of the year. But I think there's been a little bit of a reality check these last couple of weeks and, it's also a situation where guys who, 
you know, sometimes guys have like a good first series and in your head, you're like, oh yeah, Josh Bell, Gregory Polanco, they're, they're having good years. And then you look at their numbers now and you're like, oh wait, like they just had a good game that I remember and have been struggling for longer than you think. So I think the offense is kind of stabilizing, but it might be, it might be league average, which would be much better than anyone think, thought coming into the season. Yeah, I think that's sort of the curse of small sample sizes at the beginning of the season. It's yeah. easy to get too high or too low based on what you yeah, see in, sure. in such a limited amount. Was there mm-hmm. something in, you mentioned that Philly series, was there something in that series that seemed to be like the issue? Was it a, a matter of strikeouts or of, uh, you know, something that, that flipped the script completely from what you saw in that first week or so of the season? It was, yeah, I mean, it it was just, you know, teams get in the, those funks where they just do everything wrong. It's like, uh, I just think it was not enough base runners, honestly. I think sometimes, you know, fan bases will get caught up. It's like, oh, they had a runner on second and third and failed. And that's over that. And they're like, you got to bring them in from second, like that kind of thing. But, you know, that happens all the time. And the way to and if you if you only had one chance to score against, you know, the Phillies, that's that's the problem is like just guys having really bad at bats, striking out, not taking enough walks, really, you know, eight pitch innings, that kind of thing, um, which was the opposite of what they were doing earlier in the year. So uh, th- this Tigers series, they just took two out of three from Detroit uh, in the game they lost. They still scored like eight runs or something. So it was kind of a breather of like, OK, maybe they're. Maybe they are, you know, not the worst team that's ever been assembled <laughs> like they looked against Philly. Every team looks like that at some point during the year. Um, man, baseball is really the, the I feel like, the most extreme sport of how you yeah. feel about your team from game to game. Whereas, like, it, when a team is not hitting, you're just like, I, I don't think they're ever going to hit again. I don't think they're <laughs> going to score the rest of the season. They're going to break the record. They're going to... Yeah, get no, shut out 145 <laughs> times in a row. Here it comes. It's, yep, yep. And and, and when and then you're they just have a regular game, and you're like, okay, wait, it's regular. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is okay. This is normal. Um, no, I was actually yeah. before the the Cardinals first played the Cubs. Um, I was doing the series preview for that that series, and uh, Corey from the Ivy Envy podcast was saying something to the effect of a lot of people were complaining about the Cubs not hitting with runners in scoring position, and and his point was essentially. Yeah, I'd rather have runners in scoring position and sometimes not score than to not yeah. have runners in scoring position, which I think is a, a, an overlooked point when you're watching an offense that is struggling to to score runs. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. Um, cause cause yeah, every team is going to have those moments where you get a guy on second with nobody out and then they don't bring him home. Like that happens more often than you think. But I think when you when, you, you know, mostly you only focus on your own team and when they don't get them in, you think that they have some like deficiency where you're like, oh, they don't play fundamental baseball or they're not clutch or something like that. And it's like, no, that mathematically that happens all the time. You'll get, you know, a guy on third with only one out and not bring him in. It sucks when it happens, but it happens to every team. It's not like, you know, it's not like the Astros last year did it 95 percent of the time or, you know, they're so good at winning like and so I, yeah, the way to combat that is constantly getting guys on base, constantly giving yourself a chance to score. And so that when you don't bring the guy in from third, that doesn't matter because the next inning you just get another guy on third. Um, and so I, I think, uh, I, I think their roster, they've got maybe four or five guys that are really hitting well to above averagely. 
And I think they've got a couple guys who now it's coming clear that are struggling. And so it's a, it's a little bit more of a mixed bag than it was the first three weeks of the season where everyone was hitting and you're like, Hey, <laughs> this is going to be the best offense in Pittsburgh history. It's not. <laughs> not not at this point anyways uh you, yeah. you mentioned Corey dickerson um of course mm-hmm. he was the hero in the walk-off winner to end the series with detroit what does he bring to this team well he the the cory dickerson trade is one of the weirdest <laughs> honestly one of the weirdest trades i've ever seen in my life and i'm as a pirate fan i've seen a lot of bad trades but even in most of the bad trades you could see why they did it, even if it was to cut payroll, which it is a lot. And a lot of teams in the league do moves to cut payroll. But the Corey Dickerson got traded. For, they traded Daniel Hudson, who last year was a sub-replacement level reliever. He was like negative value reliever who makes five and a half million dollars. And a some infield prospect who wasn't one of their top like 30 prospects for Dickerson, who makes about the same amount of money as Hudson. So... The Rays didn't get futures and they didn't cut payroll and they gave the Pirates an outfielder hit 27 homers last year and was an all-star. So like, and he's under control for two more years at like $6 million, like totally reasonable for, uh, you know, a corner outfielder. So I, I have, I have no clue what even like devil's advocate the Rays were thinking unless this you know, the Pirates 47th prospect is secretly the best player in the world. And in three years, we're going to be like, oh, my God. But um, so they so the Pirates basically, you know, they they traded Andrew McCutcheon, obviously. They moved Starling Marte to center and they have Gregory Polanco and Wright. And they signed a bunch of random sort of fringy minor league free agents to play left field. They had Daniel Nava, who... Is like 35 or 36 or something. They had another guy from the Red Sox who had like okay power numbers, but it was not a starter ever. Um, and a couple other, they had two or three minor, you know, quad A type guys who like hit well in their triple A system last year, but they're not major league players. And I think they were just going to mishmash them all together and see who hit well. And then out of nowhere, Corey Dickerson ends up on the team and they don't even have to give up anything or, or raise their payroll. So now they have a left fielder who is right now their most valuable hitter. He's their best player on offense. Um, he's a he's a power threat. He's getting on base, uh, left-handed bat. He's been surprisingly good in the field. I feel like his the knock against him was he's a bad fielder and left field in PNC Park is difficult because it's there's a giant notch in left center field. So it's uh, actually pro- it's much tougher than right field. I know left field's usually where teams stick the crappy <laughs> the crappy outfielders, but in PNC Park it's it's almost as tough as center field. And he's been great out there. He's graded out as their best fielder so far. So they basically got their most valuable position player so far this season for nothing, which is very helpful. <laughs> Thanks, Tampa. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't always work out that way, but when it does, yeah. I just gotta. Hope they they don't realize there was some flaw in the trade or something and uh, yeah yeah no take backs right um, yeah exactly you mentioned Gregory Polanco we'll get back times infinity yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned oh, he got us you mentioned Gregory Polanco um, and to me as as a fan of a team within the division I feel like he's one of the 
most critical pieces to the pirates and and the potential success that they can have because when he's playing well it completely changes the dynamic of that team. He's just not always playing well. <laughs> so yeah. what do you make of Polanco and the start that he's off to this year and, and sort of how he can make some of that success more sustainable? Man, that I, I totally agree with everything you said. And that's I feel like that's the biggest question with this team and has been one of the biggest questions for three years now. I feel like sports writers have been copy and pasting the same <laughs> Can, you know, can Polanco take the next step is every spring training story for the last three years. They're like, just change the dates and control F. And they're like, boom, spring training story. Like, um, because when, when he hits well, like when, when he hits a home run, he's he's this big, tall, like left-handed hitter, has this uppercut swing. And when he hits a home run, you're like, it looks like Ken Griffey Jr. You're, it's He's the easiest player to talk yourself into irrationally. You know, you're just like, oh my God, this guy's... A, He's, he's, he's Griffey. Ken Griffey's back and he's that guy. And, uh, but he, through, uh, he, he's been injured a lot over the last four years. He's either missed time or played not completely healthy. And he really just, other than like a two to two and a half month stretch, two seasons ago, he just has not been healthy and productive and in the lineup for any length of time. And he's 26 now. So he's not, you know, he's not old, but he's not young. He's not, you know, 22 um, and then his, he's one of the guys who I, who I was saying, like, I thought was off to a great start. And then you look and he's got, I think he has five home runs now and a pretty good slugging. And he's, you know, his win, weighted runs created is like above average league wise, but he's hitting like 200 and into like 190 to 200 and his on base is maybe like three, something like that, like exact, like three zero zero. So like basically he's had a couple huge hits but big long stretches of, you know, 0 for 4s, that kind of thing. So I think, I mean, for him to be better, I think he just probably needs to stay healthy and make a little bit more contact and stay in the lineup more consistently. Um, he also is a really bad fielder for some reason. I feel like, you know, because he's like, he's very athletic and he's like a touted prospect. So you just assume he's a good fielder. And, you know, he has all the tools when he's batting and stuff. And then you just watch him in the field and he's just takes terrible routes. He doesn't have a great arm and makes bad decisions. So hopefully he can be a little bit, make a little bit more consistent contact and then keep the power kind of where it is and end up having a good season and God forbid, stay healthy. Yeah, that that seems to be. Again, probably more common than not when you're talking about prospects and guys that are so highly touted as they come up at such a young age and, and you sort of see what their ceiling is, but maybe not, it's not always a straight line from, from point A to point B. And that seems to be the way Polanco is. Now, I, I since you haven't brought it up yet, I feel like I'm contractually obligated to ask about David Freeze. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. Because, you know, everyone will always and forever love David Freeze. So what is the uh, the update on the 2018 version of the most favorite Pittsburgh Pirate coming into the Cardinal series? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Freeze, I, he's still a decent bench player. He's platooning at third base right now with uh, Colin Moran is left-handed. So Freeze will usually bat against left-handed starting pitchers or will kick over to first base and play some first if they want a right-handed hitting first baseman. Uh, he doesn't really have any power anymore. I think he had like 10 home runs last year and 500 plate appearances, something like that. 
but he's still a decent average, decent on base. So he's still like, he's still a major league player. I know that's damning with faint praise. Um, (laughs) He's not just a guy who, you know, has great memories or something, but he's definitely a complimentary piece at this point. He's not his, his first year with the pirates. I feel like he was one of the first guys to get squeezed by this, you know, the, the thing we saw this past off season with these mid range free agents, just having no market. It was like three years ago, he was unsigned into April and coming off, you know, he was obviously great with the Cardinals, but he was quietly really good with the angels too. He was an above average major league hitter at a power position. And he signed in, in April with the pirates for one year, $3 million, something like that. Um, so he, he was really one of the first guys to be like, oh, teams were going after elite free agents and using their internal guys. And those in-between guys started having no market. Now we see it's gotten worse than ever. So the Pirates snapped him up for $3 million, and he was great for them. He was really, really good. So they extended him for two years. And I think this is his last year under contract. But, you know, he's he's a fine complimentary piece. He's, everyone likes him. Um, made some comments in preseason about the direction the team was going in and um, which, which we're, we're like one, that's fair Two, like, you're also a bench guy on a, you know, <laughs> 73 win team. So, um, but yeah, every, everyone likes freeze. And I, I feel like he, I feel like the myth of him, like him hitting the, all those playoff home runs, I feel like almost makes you, you know, sometimes like crappy players will do that and then they get mythologized forever. I feel like his playoff exploits have almost made you forget that he's been really good for, you know, six or seven years with, you know, the Cardinals, the Angels and the Pirates. He's been like a very, very good hitter. He's not some random bench guy who had like a one moment of glory or something. (laughs) He's a good player. Yeah. You know, it, it was interesting watching him after he left the Cardinals because in St. Louis, uh, he he had some g- good moments, uh, but he was never particularly consistent. Um, had some injury issues there as well, and then of course the postseason glory of the 2011 run to the World Series obviously made him a, a legend. Um, but I think it sort of clouded a little bit of the inconsistency that he did have at times. Then you see him go to the Angels and then with the Pirates and and be pretty solid, as you mentioned, just a, a pretty pretty solid guy to have around. Uh, and, and as a fan of David Freeze, both the person and the player, I think it's great to see him be able to translate that success uh, in, in a realistic way, not just in one particular postseason. So that's, that's been nice to see. Um, now, changing gears a little bit, right before we uh, mm-hmm. recorded this, um, some news came out ahead of this series about uh, Jung Ho Gang, who has yes. been not in the U.S., not allowed in baseball, and has been granted a work visa but and intends to return to the Pirates. Now, there's a lot to that story, the DUIs yeah. and the time out of the States and, and all the details there. But the plan is for him to come back to the Pittsburgh Pirates. I guess, first of all, what is your reaction to that? And do you think that there will be any sort of lingering ill will towards a guy that was at one point, one of the best players for the pirates based on all these off field issues. Um, I honestly, when I saw the tweet about that, I thought it was fake. I was like, what? Like, and then I saw it confirmed a couple times and I was like, I think maybe they're all fake somehow, but <laughs> it, it was, 
I because I feel like uh, Jung Ho Gung was not allowed out of uh, he, he wasn't given a work visa out of Korea for a while, and it was updated it was updated all the time. You'd hear about it all the time, and then heard nothing for the last year and a half. Like I forgot. I I just you know thought he wasn't in their plans for valid reasons, and uh, and then out out of nowhere today they just announced he's he's rejoining the organization, which is very very bizarre. And like you said, there's a lot to unpack there because he he has two DUI convictions. The second one was not just a DUI conviction. It was like a reckless driving where he like smashed over a, a divider and then like tried to blame it on his friend or something like that. It was like really bad. This wasn't not, I mean, all DUIs are bad, but this was like exceptionally bad. And then also he was accused of uh, drugging and sexually assaulting a woman uh, three years ago. And I don't think anything ever came of that case. I think the plaintiff either dropped it or something like it just fell out of the news cycle. And so there's all of those issues, which are not minor, like they're that's horrible. And that's the second DUI is why he wasn't able to get a visa for so long. So now all of a sudden he comes back and he's, you know, not only you have, I, I hate using the term character issues because it's, that's avoiding what the, it, what you know, he's committed <laughs> you know, between one and three bad crimes. Um, you know, he's, that's awful. It's not, you know, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. It's, I, I'm just laughing because it's like, uh, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, he's had his struggles or so, you know, people avoid saying what the things he's done. And then on top of that, you have a guy who's been out of baseball for two years. He played some winter ball in, I think the Dominican last year and got released by his team because he just wasn't hitting at all. And now he's 31 and now he's going to come back into the organization. So you have like a guy who has plenty of off field reasons why he should not be in your organization anymore. And then also might suck at baseball too. Not that you should make the exception for it, but it's also like what, what I, I just don't even really know what they're expecting out of him. So I'm as, I don't know, morbidly intrigued by how this whole thing's going to play out as anyone, but I mean, there, I had people on Twitter who are like, you know, if he goes back to 2016, Gung, like, look out. And you're just like, I don't know. He hasn't played in two years. He's in his 30s now and was injured. And also, he's a horrible person. Like, this is weird. It's a very, very weird situation to wrap your head around. Yeah. And it's it doesn't sound like the return to the field will be happening anytime soon. There, yeah. there are a lot of hoops to jump through before it gets to that point. But even just like you said, the announcement of it kind of, I think, caught everyone off guard. And, and yeah. you're right. There's there's a lot to work through there. Not only just as a human being, he has to work through all of that and, and convince the organization and his future and former teammates of his place uh, in in the picture going forward. But there's also the, like I mentioned, the, the respect and the uh, response from the fan base that is looking at this as this very bizarre circumstance that maybe mm -hmm. doesn't really help the Pirates be a better baseball team. <laughs> no. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, we'll wait and see how it plays out. I feel like they will, I'm sure they will PR spin it as like, you know, he needs our support now more than ever. And he's trying to turn his life around and stuff. And you're just like, all right. Like, not that I don't have like sympathy for people, but like, I don't know. He, he seems like at, at, at the very least, he seems like a really awful person. Like no, wherever on the spectrum of these things being true is, um, 
I mean, the, the Pirates team president also got a DUI uh, four, four or five years ago, faced no repercussions because no executives ever do. But uh, yeah, it's it's going to be weird. And I don't know. I mean, well, in Pittsburgh, we've had a decade of Ben Roethlisberger being our quarterback and no one knowing how the hell to reconcile that. So I don't know. At this point, it's just it's just a lot of like, I don't know. It's a good <laughs> it's exhausting. And um, I guess I'll go to the, you know, double A and try to become a professional baseball player anymore. And then not to put the off field, not to minimize the off field concerns, but also I'm not entirely sure how he fits on the Pirates right now because they have, you know, Colin Moran's are starting third baseman. Uh, Gung is a right-handed hitter. He could, if theoretically he suddenly was, you know, a major league player again, he could maybe platoon at third base. Um, I don't know if he would go to a middle infield position, something like that, but it just, it just is, it's very, very bizarre on, you know, in a, on the field and off the field. So I don't know. The, I feel like, for full disclosure, I should acknowledge that the Cardinals have had their share of issues with uh, DUI situations in the past as well. And it is tricky. It's, uh, it's David, hard. David Freeze. David Freeze, right? yeah, um, as well as Tony LaRusa. And it's challenging to figure out how you reconcile that with this idea that, you know, people deserve a second chance and, and there are ways that you can overcome these things and become a better person. And all of that is true and great. But there are also you know, you want there to be repercussions for people who do bad things in life. <laughs> um, and that's a complicated uh, sort of storyline to navigate as you're dealing with these people from a distance uh, from, from where we're sitting, as well as sort of hoping that everyone inside the organization handles it well. So it's it's very tricky, um, but definitely a bit of news worth uh, worth noting as far as the Pirates are concerned. Now, Missing on the field for a different reason, the Pirates are without second baseman Josh Harrison due to injury mm -hmm. this season. So what has been the game plan to sort of fill his spot on the field as well as in the lineup every day? Well, I th I think on top of that, I think uh, I think they probably tried to trade Josh Harrison this offseason, too. I think they plan to trade their high pro their high cost players who are approaching free agency. And also Harrison is a, probably a little easier to replace internally. Um, but, uh, in the short term, they've been using Adam Frazier, who's a left-handed hitting second baseman who is not a great fielder and actually has been hitting terribly this season. Last year he hit, you know, sort of at, decently for a middle infielder, but he's definitely been struggling this year. They've been using a combination of him, uh, Sean Rodriguez, who is a, you know, a, plays every infield and outfield position. Uh, they have a guy, Max Moroff, who is a switch hitting a middle infielder who's probably like he's on the younger side. He probably uh, projects as a future, you know, backup middle infielder type. I don't think he's a top prospect, but they're uh, they have a lot of middle infield depth in triple A and double A. They have uh, a, <clears throat> sorry, they have a, a Kevin Kramer as a second baseman, a guy Kevin Newman is a shortstop, and a guy Cole Tucker who's a shortstop, who have been uh, both. All three of them are top first and second round picks recently who are now getting in the, the mid to high level minors. So I think in the short term, they'll keep using, you know, Frazier, Rodriguez and Moroff to replace Harrison. But I feel like if the opportunity arises, if they're out of contention and someone wants Harrison at the trade deadline, I think they would trade him and go internal. But he's, you know, he's a solid player. 
he makes a decent amount of money for the pirates, but not for baseball. <laughs> um, and he was productive last year. He's like a two win player, something like that. And he can, you know, he makes good contact, has okay power. He's a decent fielder, good base runner. Actually, he's a crazy base runner. He's, he's somewhat fast, but he is reckless, but, uh, but everyone likes him too. He's a good clubhouse guy. So, um, I, I don't think their sudden struggles to hit are related to Harrison. I mean, that's part of it. He's, he's a good player, but I don't think he's so essential that all of a sudden they can't hit. I think that's kind of coincidental. But uh, I, they're making do in the short term. Well, offensive woes aside, let's talk a little bit of pitching heading into this series. We were kind of talking before we started recording this that some of the pitching numbers, whether it's the the starting rotation or the bullpen numbers, when you look at them this early in the season, they tend to be a little uh, a little misleading, um, and they can also be just as bad or just as problematic throughout the league as, as they tend to be with your own team. Bullpens can be a little bit volatile. Um, starting rotations, your starters maybe don't go as deep in, into games as they will later in the year. But as you look at this pitching puzzle for the Pirates this year, obviously without Garrett Cole um, as, as the ace of the staff, what do you make of the pieces they have put together and, and what, has, what has been working so far? I mean, with, without instant Cy Young favorite Garrett Cole <laughs> goes to the Astros and is like dominating. Yeah. That's extra frustrating because a lot of writers, a lot of people who are smarter than I am were pointing out that he wasn't really throwing many breaking pitches with the pirates. And they're like, I don't know why he doesn't use his uh, slider more. The pirates seem obsessed with, you know, fastball, everything, fastball, fastball. And then he goes to the Astros, starts throwing a slider like 20% more and is like leading the league in strikeouts instantly. And he's just like, come on, like this, these dudes online who I <laughs> don't even know are like pointing out this obvious flaw and then it immediately happens. Someone has to have this information, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, if they can just like look and be like, why don't they do this? And they're completely, they're immediately right. You're like, what? So um so they, the, the guy they got for Cole, Joe Musgrove, has been hurt all season so far. So they're using a guy, Stephen Brault, who is a left-handed pitcher. Uh, I think he's starting the first game of this series. And he's a tip, very typical, like, fifth, sixth starter guy. He's like a slow-throwing lefty who doesn't get a lot of swings and misses. Which is sort of the Achilles heel for the Cardinals lineup, by the all way. Right. The soft-tossing <laughs> lefty is the worst. <laughs> yeah. Where you're just like, oh man, this guy's great. It's like you rip a single and then a foul home run, and you're like, oh, we're gonna kill this guy. And then you look up and it's the sixth inning, and you're like, what? What the hell just happened? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, just did I doze off? It's it's zero zero. Yeah, uh, but he's been he's been very very bad. He has a bad ERA, and his underlying numbers are actually worse. He has like a high fives fielding independent pitching or something. So like he could get blown up at any time. Um, Jamison Tyon is their, is their ace, although he has struggled. He pitched a complete game shutout a couple games ago and his last couple starts since then, he has not looked that sharp. I don't, I don't know. It, I think it's simplistic to just say he's like fatigued from the complete game, but he hasn't bounced back immediately from that. Uh, they have a guy, Chad cool, who has better stuff than you'd think is maybe projects as a number three type starter. Um, Ivan Nova, the veteran, went today and actually went eight innings. He pitched eight scoreless innings. He's uh, also typical middle middle to bottom end starter. Not a lot of strikeouts, but can be reliable. And then who who else is starting in the 
Cardinal Series. Uh, it's Brault. Williams, I believe, Brault, is going Trevor to game Williams. two. And then they had not announced game three as far as who the starter would be. When oh, I, that's when right. I, yeah. Sort of TBD. Uh, probably, I would imagine, because of the doubleheader and the, the yeah. schedule this I, the rest of the week. I think it's going to be Nick Kingham. He's a triple-A. He's probably their first triple-A option. I think they'll probably call him up for a game. And he's sort of probably better stuff than Brault, but he's he's right-handed. He's sort of a was a top prospect a couple of years ago, but had tons and tons of he had Tommy John and then tons of injuries and just last year got back into the mix. So they thought maybe he'd be the fifth starter coming out of spring training, but they gave it to Brault instead so he could go to AAA. So I guess he'll probably probably I don't know if it'll be his first major league start if he comes up. But it'll be him. And then uh, Trevor Williams has been fine. He's similar to cool, probably less swing and miss stuff, but he's just a, you know, he's a mid rotation righty. Uh, one of the best followers on Twitter, definitely the funniest player on the pirates. So that's, that's a good X factor there. Yeah. Got to Got to love a guy with a, a solid social media presence to go along with his ability on, on the field. Now the Cardinals will counter with Miles Michaelis, who has been I think better than advertised in his return to the major leagues after some time in Japan. Uh, and then in that second start, it'll be Jack Flaherty who will make his second major league start. He came up, up at the beginning of the year in place of Adam Wainwright, who started the year on the DL. Um, Adam Wainwright once again on the DL and Jack Flaherty will make that start against Trevor Williams. And then in game three, it should be Luke Weaver going for the Cardinals who had been pitching very well this season. The last couple of starts uh, was roughed up a little bit, so he'll be he'll be looking to get back on track. But it's the last thing I want to ask you, as far as the division is concerned, I mentioned that the Cubs are continually the favorite to win the division at this point. Mm-hmm. But you've seen the Cubs, you've seen the Reds, the Brewers. What do you make of the NL Central this year as you go into yet another division rivalry series? Um, I think, like you said, I think the Cubs in the long run are probably far and away the, the best team. But I think one of the Cardinals or Brewers will probably push them for a while just because it's like, you know, it's it's hard to be mathematically out of it in, you know, June, July. Um, I, last year, the Cubs didn't really start taking control of the division until like late in the summer. I mean, they were pirates were always within, you know. What, what four games, you know, it was always like one of those things. So I think, uh, I don't think it's going to be like, oh, the Cubs are out ahead and now everyone's going for the wild card. I think the Cubs and one or two of those two teams will be uh, probably neck and neck up until, you know, August, September. I, I, and who knows, something could, catastrophic could happen to the Cubs. I know they have good depth, though. But I do think those three teams are definitely a notch above. Honestly, I think the Cardinals are probably a notch above the Brewers, but we'll we'll wait and see. And then uh, the card, uh, the Pirates are either uh, the best hitting team in the history of baseball or the worst team in baseball or somewhere in between. We'll <laughs> we'll find out. I think they're the best. <laughs> I think we're gonna find out that that's them. Um, I, I would be surprised if the Pirates don't don't settle around fourth, but we'll we'll see. Yeah, I've I've said uh, all season or all off season. I think it's going to be an interesting run in the division this year because I think. I don't know that the teams that are, are are good are maybe quite as good as they think they are. I don't think the teams that aren't 
as improved are as bad as maybe everyone seems to think they are. So I think well, it'll settle somewhere in the middle, and, and it could be an interesting ride. But this is, like I said, the first time that the Cardinals and the Pirates will see each other. Definitely some mm-hmm. uh, potential fireworks there. I feel like Polanco always has a good series against the Cardinals. Uh, Harrison, although he's not playing right now, is another one of those guys that I feel like... Mm-hmm inevitably when he plays against the Cardinals is is going to have a strong series. So we'll see who it is that steps up uh, for both of these that's, teams this weekend. That's certainly interesting pitching. I feel like I feel like the games one and three, the Cardinals will certainly have an edge at pitching. Williams is pretty, Williams is pretty reliable, pretty, you know, pretty standard average starting pitcher, but the Brault, if it's Brault and Kingham, they, they could, that could really get out of hand. So uh, we'll, we'll see. Maybe they'll surprise. Well, either way, uh, an important series for both teams in the division, always getting those division games in early. I feel like the Cardinals have barely played anyone outside the division uh, to start the year. So we're right back at it again this weekend. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time to, to chat about it. No problem. Thanks a lot. For Cardinals fans, perhaps the biggest excitement of this series is the return of Jack Flaherty, the wonder kid who blew us all away in his first start on the season in place of an injured Adam Wainwright, he'll look to do that again. But the Cardinals offense needs to continue to score runs and continue to prove itself against teams that are not the Cincinnati Reds, especially teams within the division. Thanks again to Dan Hopper for giving us the Pittsburgh side of the story, and I'll see you next time for another series preview for Birds on the Black.